Welcome to the Cool Tools Show. I'm Mark Frauenfelder, Editor-in-Chief of Cool Tools, a website of tool recommendations written by our readers. You can find us at cool-tools.org. I'm joined by my co-host, Kevin Kelly, founder of Cool Tools. Hey, Kevin. Hey, it's great to be here. In each episode of the Cool Tools Show, Kevin and I talk to a guest about some of his or her favorite uncommon and uncommonly good tools they think others should know about. Before we introduce this week's guest, I want to give a shout out to our Patreon supporters. Patreon is a great way to support everything Cool Tools does, including our newsletters, podcast, video channel, and our flagship review website. This week, we want to give a shout out to John Enverfeth and Michael. To become a patron of Cool Tools, visit patreon.com slash cool tools. Our guest this week is Charles Platt. Charles used to write science fiction. He was a senior editor for Wired Magazine and is the author of several excellent books about electronics. One of them is an Amazon bestseller in its field. I love the book. I've known Charles. Kevin and I have both known Charles for a long time. He's a great friend and a very interesting person. And it's the second time he's been on the show. So, Charles, welcome back to the Cool Tools podcast. Thank you, Mark. Yes, it's so good to hear you, Charles. I'm always delighted in what you have discovered, what you have for us. You never fail to surprise me. So um, I'm looking forward to a couple of your favorite four tools. Okay. Let's, um, I know you, you gave us a challenge by giving us more than four because you don't like to follow rules. And so, um, <laughs> and so um, I... Uh, Tell me about region-free DVDs. And, and first, um, are, people, are people still watching DVDs? I mean, I, 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 I'm wondering if this is a little retro. It is retro, but some of us are retro. And especially, <laughs> especially if we want to watch, for instance, Hong Kong martial arts movies from the 1990s, you really have very little choice. You're going to watch a DVD. And also, of course, you can get region-free Blu-ray players if that's uh -huh. not too retro for you. Um, that sounds cool. Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I was really big into DVDs and Blu-rays, but I have to say I've, I've – I've, um, stop my you know I, I, anyway if, if, if i can't stream it i don't watch it that's that's sort of like the ultimate american laziness is like if it's not instant it doesn't exist um i'm a bad boy in that way but um it, where do you even find these blu-rays of hong kong martial arts is there are there sources is it all ebay is it do you just rip them from tour or where do you even get them? Oh, no ripping here. We, we, we observe copyright here, Kevin. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's, it's in our interest. The honest, the honest pirate. Okay. Right. So, um, uh, where, where do you, where do you find them? Where do you find them? Um, Amazon and eBay, there are small distributors that have not yet been squeezed into oblivion by people such as yourself uh. who can't <laughs> wait for the DVD to show up in the mail, which gives you that moment of excitement. You know, what did I order that night when I had used some <laughs> them and everything seemed so wonderful. And, oh, here it is. Oh, this is great. Someone sent me a present. Uh, <laughs> so, so do you, do you have a, particular 
DVD or Blu-ray player to suggest as the as one to go to if you were interested in watching these hard to find, little known. Well, the the important thing to understand is that the player is not made this way by the manufacturer. A lot of people imagine that companies in Japan somehow violate their terms of contract and sell region-free players, but of course they don't. What they do is they sell them to some little basement place in Illinois run by some rather nice immigrant people who have found a niche industry, well, industry is too kind a word, where they they basically hack the DVD player by refreshing some some memory inside it and at that point it completely disables the region free setting of uh, the region setting so that you can just play anything and so far as i've been able to discover these things actually do work i have a couple and so far so good but if it doesn't work, I'm not sure what your recourse would be because it's certainly out of warranty at this point. Right. I remember for a while there was an un- my understanding was that all the DVD players, Blu-ray as well, were made basically region free, and then they were encoded to prevent that, and that most of them had a code that you could just type into the setup that would. Um, you know, uh, was it reset it back to its sort of natural read anything state? Yeah, you you supposedly can do it on your remote with some complicated yes. code, and, and, and that worked. That worked, and and the idea was you wanted to buy the cheapest ones because the cheapest ones were the ones that were used all around the world, <laughs> and so mm. and so the the cheap ones were the ones that were the easiest to you know um, default back to. Um, region free my experience is that the codes don't work anymore Ah, and are a thing of the past like dvds themselves and you really have to buy a region free player all all of my efforts to uncode the older players that i have have failed Uh uh-huh okay all right i remember when we uh went to the south pacific this was like in 2003 and this was when I, when laptops had a DVD player, we would rent DVDs from this little DVD store on the island. And sometimes they were, you know, like Australian coded and sometimes they were European. And so there was like a setting on the Mac where you could change the region, but you could only change it five times. And then <laughs> after that, you were stuck for life That's with, right. with whatever region. Right. <laughs> it was like some kind of firmware deal. Yeah, that was yeah. like it's disgusting. Yeah. Why do they do that? Who cares what region you're in? I'm the two people here who make their living through copyright law. I don't. I don't understand this, this rebellion. <laughs> yeah. No. I'm. I don't. I believe in giving things away for free. Um, so um, the. So, anyways, so so is there a particular um, player? Is there is it just generic, or does it have a brand name, or the one that you know it works? You've had some experience, so um, can you? Is does this have a model or model number, a brand? Let's see. Oh, it's a Panasonic. 
But um, the link you sent is a Panasonic DVD multi-region free. So that's that's, that's the one reputable. Yeah. Okay. $64 for one with 1080 HDMI. So um, that would seem to work. Um, and that's not Blu-ray, right? That's just a DVD. Okay. Right. Um, so, Charles, how about um, what's another um, one? Um, since we're in the TV realm, let's talk about an antenna. Since we're talking about watching things for free, what what would you suggest there? I did a bit of research on this because I'm in line of sight of a mountain, which is approximately 18 miles away. And that's where all the antennas are, the broadcasting antennas. And I really hate dealing with Dish Network and people like them who always have some complicated deal wanting to sell me sports channels, which I don't watch. So the idea of just using a plain antenna is very attractive if it will pick up the signal. And the one that I found actually does pretty well. I get about 18 channels off this mountain. Of course, they're not the channels that I really want, but I don't want to be tempted to watch TV. So if I <laughs> on the so TV, you want yeah. bad TV, okay. I, I want bad TV. Well, no, actually, I like bad TV. I love the Jerry Springer show, but, but I, I'm not that kind of. Sometimes can, bad. Can, can bad. you get the Jerry Springer show with this antenna? No, unfortunately. Well, fortunately, not. Otherwise, I would just waste all my time. <laughs> so, oh, I, I want TV, which I really don't want to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you have to pay extra for that. I love it. Um, yeah. So, so just to be clear, what it is is this is an antenna that you would put on the outside of your house, I presume, that's going to capture broadcast TV, the you know the the channels that are offered in your area, and its size is about I don't know I'm guessing 18 inches or something or or bigger. It's I can't basically tell. Basically, a looped and a loop antenna which has been squashed a bit, so it becomes an oval. And I think it's about two feet from end to end and about uh, six okay. feet wide. But I have it I I have a house which is fabricated from you know two by sixes, so it doesn't block much in the way of radio waves. So I have it just hanging on the wall. It works fine. Okay. Um and so this is getting what's left of free TV. Um, and uh, if you don't want to have um, you come over either on cable or on your internets. Um, well, you know, we don't have cable where I live, so the, yeah. the options are limited. Anyway, the one we're talking about is, is the outdoor TV antenna. It says it's a 150-mile range, but of course that is absurd. But it's fifty dollars from Amazon. Does it also would it work for radio as well? I don't know. I suppose you could try plugging it into the radio socket on your on right. your stereo if you still have a stereo. But it would be the wrong size for the frequencies. Okay. So uh, this doesn't do the HD high definition free oh, yeah. to air. Yes, it does. Oh, it does. Yeah, oh, broadcasters okay. were compelled to 
continue broadcasting a certain amount of, of HD material when the big deal was made for the new mm-hmm. uh, new as of 1990-something color standards, which I wrote okay. wired. I think that was the first piece I ever wrote for Kevin. Interesting. So, so uh, we don't have TV. Um, haven't had TV, and well, we haven't ever had TV. W- what do you? <laughs> it may sound kind of strange, but what do you actually watch on it? We were just talking about what you well it, wanted it's, to watch, but can't get, and what you don't want to watch. But w- what are you actually watching? Well, very little. But what started all this was that someone was defending. PBS, and I know we don't want to get into politics, but this is journalism. And they said, you know, they're so neutral. I said, I can prove to you that there are certain ways in which words are put together, which are manipulative, whether or not the person speaking the words or writing the words is aware of it. It could be unconsciously done that way. So then, of course, I was challenged, so I had to get this antenna so I could record a PBS show and go through it, sentence by sentence. And, of course, I never heard another word from that person because, obviously, <laughs> it's a very irritating thing for me to do. So, <laughs> I love the, the lengths you went to, like, do the research yourself. That's like you, you are willing to, like, conduct experiments like the time you you worked at Walmart, well, that that was a very peculiar experience because it was so difficult to get the job at Walmart. There were 160 applicants for I think five jobs, so it was a real challenge, you know. And I uh-huh. had to game their their system where you answer I think 90 questions, and they're very sneaky, difficult questions. Like, mm-hmm. would are you they re- trying to get you to answer them correctly, or are they are they trying are they picking people that don't answer them correctly? <laughs> no, no, Kevin. They want people who give what they consider the correct answers. But would you mm-hmm. consider that the right answer? Like, interesting. Would, would you agree that at some time in their lives, every person has stolen some small wow. thing from an employer on a scale of one to nine? And one is meaning you don't think? Totally disagree. It never happens. A nine being, of course, it happens all the time. Well, you know, you don't want to lie. I mean, it's a job application, right? You don't want to lie on your Mm -hmm. job application. No one does that. Uh, But anyway, the question was, if I give a five because I don't really know what the right answer is, Will they let me off? And of course, the answer is no. <laughs> if you give five answers, they flag them and then ask you about them in your second interview. So, oh, wow. <laughs> so what I did was I, I channeled the greeter at Walmart, this lovely little old lady. I thought, how would she answer these questions? Because she's obviously the kind of employee they really, really want, you know. Mm -hmm. And in our world, of course, people don't steal things. Of course, they don't. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Mm -hmm. no question. Uh, Oh, that's so interesting, Charles. (laughs) And then finally, I got a phone call. Well, you've got the job. I thought, wow, I did it. And then I thought, yeah, but all I've got now is a job at Walmart. (laughs) 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 Big deal. But you just—I love that you just did it because you kind of wanted to see what it was like, uh, the experience. 
Well, I wanted to write about it, but it yeah. turned out there's no story there because the people at my local Walmart are very happy to be there, and there's just no story. <laughs> yeah. So um, going down the list of other tools, I'm going to stay on the hardware side for a moment. Here's another quest you've had, the quest for a toaster, a, a toaster for thick bread. Is that the quest? Well, or, tell me what the quest is. What's what's the quest? I I don't know what your local supermarket does, but my local Safeway sells what they call fresh baked bread. It, basically, they get it frozen and then heat it. <laughs> it's very nice bread, but some of the loaves are about ten inches in diameter. Well, if you want to slice, take a slice off that loaf and toast it, you've got a problem. So I thought, well, it must be toasters that are made with this in mind. But in fact, that you can either get single normal width or double width. And then if you try to toast a regular slice of bread in a double width toaster, it all gets burned at the edges because there's too much heat. And it turns out the toasters have not been properly redesigned in decades, I guess. They're all designed for Wonder Bread, really. And I guess you're expected to have a toaster oven, but that takes longer than a toaster. So I had a problem there. Did I? I think I sent you a link to a, a double width slice toaster, which works fine if you want to do two slices of bread, but that wasn't what I wanted to do. But so what you wanted to do, just to make the challenge clear, was you had some bread that's sort of wider or bigger than a normal wonder bread slice of bread that's right? right and so and so you can find toasters that are, that are thick they do thick bread like a bagel but what you were looking for was one that did a kind of a long slice well is that right yes if you consider the dimensions of the slot yeah let's call it the, the thickness in one dimension and what i'm calling the width would be in the other dimension maybe about six inches something like that so so this one that you found toast that you found does two slices that are extremely wide they're extra wide slots right not wide in the width of like the thickness no but wide as in like a plate is wide exactly Okay, and that's called the Ikich Toaster Four Slice Long Slot. They call it a long slot toaster. But just be aware, if you try to do a regular slice of bread in that toaster, it will burn at the edges because okay. there's not enough material to absorb all the heat. Okay. It must be good for pizza, too. Well, I don't know. The cheese would run down, wouldn't it? Oh, that reheating it. It's, you know, anyway, oh, I that's see. Another, that's another story. Um, okay, so uh, because I actually I have a four slot toaster that that is for like thick pieces of bread, but they're not wide. Right. No, there's no no problem getting toasters that will do bagels. They're everywhere now. Mm. Okay. Okay. Wow. So, so how many tools have we talked about now. <laughs> I've lost track. We have three. So, so Charles, um, you have a, a, a bunch here. Why don't you, why don't you select one for your fourth one? That well, you think yeah, let's be... talk about karambit knives. 
because okay. it's okay. so weird. It's sort of like um, a totally oh, alien yeah. eye. First of all, you hold it in your fist with the blade sticking out at the bottom, and it's just a little blade about two inches long and triangular in shape, and it's a self-defense weapon. It cannot, cannot really be used for attacking people, so I kind of like it for that reason. I mean, I think knives mm-hmm. are really creepy. I don't really like them, but if you want a knife, <laughs> this one has a, a, a nice feel to it to me. And, 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 and is, is, you say it's self-defense, but is, is it like would you use – I mean, knives can be used for things other than self-defense. Does this have any other use besides self-defense? Well, you could use it in a camping trip to do something, I guess, but it's really intended for if you're in some confrontation with a belligerent person and it comes with a little sheath and you can just grab it in your fist and it's a very good way to discourage someone, you know. I mean, maybe in maybe in Northern California, this kind of situation just never occurs. And it, it's such a beatific environment, especially where you are, Kevin, that you would never have any concern about a belligerent person. But I don't know about that. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just going to speak personally. I would be so loath to get into a knife, knife fight of any sort <laughs> at any time because my understanding of it is there's no easier way to get hurt than being in a knife fight. Oh, well, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't want to uh, – defend yourself against somebody else who had a knife. No, no, no. <laughs> you just want to be the one with the knife and the other person is just belligerent with, and barehanded. I would be afraid, even if I was the only one who had the knife, of getting hurt. Well, I think the advantage of a weapon like this is that the other person is unlikely to have seen it and will think, <laughs> what the hell is that? <laughs> So you say you hold it in your fist. So so right now, as we might describe it to somebody, it is a curved. It's like it's like a curved knife that on one end has a pointy tip, and the other end has kind of like a a, a ring, uh, like a, where you might put a finger. That's and right. And there's a curved handle. But where are you gripping it? It's not clear to me. You, you hold it in your fist with your forefinger through the ring, so that it basically. Ah! Cannot cannot be taken okay. away from you. Oh, right. I see. Okay. And so the blade comes up from the bottom of your right. fist. Right. Oh, okay. Oh. And so are you meant to like punch with it? It's like a, it adds a little spice to your punch? <laughs> no. No, you would wave your arm around in a slashing gesture. <laughs> okay. Oh, I see. Oh, the, the sharp, the, the sharp edge is outwards. It's That's not right. on the inner curve. Okay. Okay. So you're just, yeah, you're just like, I get it. That is a vicious, vicious tool. The Lapter's claw. Yeah. It's like you have a claw. Well, it's off to. I don't think we've ever had a more sinister tool mentioned on (laughs) (laughs) I thought, you know, this is probably (laughs) the usual comfort zone. So why not? Yeah. I love, I love that you're, you're, sharing this with us because it's something I've never seen before. Is, is, and this, I bet TS, there's you- is, this, is this TSA compliant? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm sure if they took my nail clippers, they wouldn't like a karambit. There's a ton of karambit uh, tutorial videos on YouTube so that you can see how to do it. And this is called a, a, called a what? 
Karambit. K-A-R-A-M-B-I-T. And is that a generic term for the kind of knife, or is that a brand yeah. name? Yeah, it's generic. It comes from Indonesia. Oh, okay, I see. Okay. All right. That's a, that's such a – I'm really glad you told us about this one. It's really interesting. <laughs> and, and, and just to, again, the safety, you know, uh, wimp of me, it's like – you 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 have a sheath, but like, where do you normally carry it? I don't know. Where until until that moment that you need it, where 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 where, where is it? You carry it in your pocket all the time. Is it on a belt? Do it's, you it's a, usually the sheath is designed to go on a belt, but for a karambit, that makes it hard to pull it out. Right. So I I think inside a jacket would be where I would want it. Well, so well, Charles, it, where do you carry it? Oh, I just bought it because I was writing a novel which had it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So you've never had occasion to use it in the undisclosed location that you <laughs> live no, in? No, no, no. Uh, okay. the, the only confrontations I've had, I've always talked my way out of it. Okay. That's the but, best but, way but to do it. you're interested in watching other people use it. I would love to, yes. Yeah. When I when I first moved to a small town in in Arizona, uh, I would hang out at the bar, and it was a, a bit less civilized in those days. I was so excited the first time I saw a bar fight, <laughs> and, and the woman who owned the bar really wanted a more upscale clientele, and I I guess I was like uh, her idea of a step in that direction. So she started apologizing. <laughs> I'm so sorry. This normally doesn't happen. I said, No, no, it's great. <laughs> they actually yeah. fell down on the floor and were kind of rolling around, struggling with each other. It was quite oh, wow. wow. I, I reviewed a book, I think, for Cool Tools that someone sent me to review. And I think it was just called How to Win a Fight. And about two-thirds to three-quarters of the book was just about avoiding at all costs getting into a fight because right. whether you win or lose in a fight, you end up losing. Right. It's like a lawsuit, you know. Yeah, you're going to get sued absolutely every time. Even if you win, you could be injured. Um, you're going to have like psychological issues, <laughs> and the best thing to do is whatever you can uh, avoid the fight. Yeah, I could. I could write that. I could write that book too. <laughs> well, Bruce Lee said, yeah. said, said the same thing uh, in in his book. He he said, if some crazy person wants to bite your nose. They're probably going to be able to do it no matter what you do. So just don't get into a fight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <clears throat> it's yeah. true. Yeah. Uh, and I think, Kevin, you had a piece of good advice where you said you, you've decided you're never going to get in an argument with a stranger. I, I walk away so fast now from anything that has any hint of escalating. It's just like, I don't know. Um, I don't need to win. Mm -hmm. right. the, it, it just doesn't uh yeah i'm I'm way too cautious right now so i, I just yeah. walk away and that served me well traveling uh, almost every incident that i have heard of of someone having a bad time traveling will often involve a bar right or drinking mm -hmm. at, at the least and mm -hmm. um, it just yeah it just kind of um i just avoid I have a really good nose for avoiding those kinds of places and people. I had a yeah. I had a neighbor problem, and I wasn't sure how to deal with it. And suddenly, I thought to myself, 
what would Kevin Kelly do? <laughs> and it worked. It actually worked. So, well, what did Kevin Kelly do? Yeah, I invited him over to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's well, good. And, and he was today. so stunned he he didn't come, which was which was good. Um, <laughs> he completely defused the whole situation. Just, that's so yeah, cool. That's so brilliant. Yeah. I turned the other um, cheek, Kevin. Yeah. So, so um, Charles, one of the things that both Mark and I have read is your ongoing series of memoirs. Oh, which yeah. are amazing. I have a pile of books next to my book stand, books that have been reviewed in the New York Times, <laughs> books that are quality books and um, by high-priced authors. And then when your book comes along, I immediately have to read it. I mean, I just sit down and I go through it immediately and I'm not even sure why, because, um, it's like, what, you know, I mean, you're not famous. You haven't killed anybody yet. And this <laughs> volume three. And so, um, but, but I find it totally engaging. I, I find your writing and I think I, I determined what it was was that you're so honest about yeah. the little ways your life has been screwed up that, that I can't wait to find out how you're going to screw up your life next. <laughs> and that, that, that just keeps me turning the pages. So uh, anyway, uh, I don't know if Mark wants to say anything, but I, I just yeah. find your, your, your biography to be some of the best writing, uh, page-turning writing that I've read recently. I agree. And in a, in a, in a just world, your books would be – New York Times bestsellers, your memoirs, they're fascinating. And I think it's also your curiosity, your willingness to try something without having uh, any kind of much in the way of preparation, but just wanting to to learn and, and jump in headfirst into something. And uh, the, the huge variety of things that you've done, it's like you've lived like a dozen different lives is like, it's fa fascinating to me. And also you have like a, a sense of humor about it too, that yeah. it just all adds up to being fascinating. You, you, I mean, at the risk of saying something that I might regret, Charles, I mean, what it is is that you, you have enough successes in your life that you can then screw them up. Right. So you have this instead of like kind of like being on a downward spiral, you kind of like you have these periods where you have success and then you can kind of like you have a setback. You have something that went wrong and then you can come back up again, another success and then things. And so this kind of roller coaster life, it's just I don't know. It's I just find it compelling to well, read. You know, the secret, Kevin, is just having really poor judgment. <laughs> <laughs> well but but not but you don't want too much poor that's what i'm saying you have just the right amount of poor judgment yeah it's true yeah. it is it is yeah 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 so i mean like if you did, had only bad judgment I, I, you wouldn't be that interesting <laughs> well i'm glad it i'm glad it fits your your comfort scale there. Yes, it's kind of like the the, the Goldilocks <laughs> point of bad judgment. You've just the right amount of it. And um, uh, anyway, so the, the I hope you continue. That and the other thing for all the readers out there that's totally remarkable. In fact, 
Charles know that I actually um, grilled him on this. As I was, the, the, the detail that you remember from your previous life is for me awe inspiring because my memory is, it's not even a sieve, it's just like a, it's a hole in the <laughs> ground. It just disappears. <laughs> and so, um, but, but you have this remarkably detailed account and that specificity of the, you know, of the errors that you're in and the people around you and what you were doing and what you were wearing that day and all this stuff is just completely again, um, captivating and makes, makes these books work. Yeah. Uh, I, I just so, wish there was a way to monetize it, but yeah, so there's, that's the way it is. Anyway, in, in case anyone might feel interested, it's called an accidental life volumes one through three. And they are being sold at cost because I figured I would make so little money if I was selling them at a profit. That would just annoy me. So it was. <laughs> <laughs> That's Charles. That's you can, so, you can, such a Charles move. <laughs> yeah. You can get them on Amazon and it's, you know, uh, it uh, takes advantages of your skills as not only a writer, but uh a designer and, and an illustrator and a photographer, yeah. all that stuff comes into play. Um, so it's a good kind of example of your, all the right. different skills, the many skills you have. And for um, the readers who aren't aware, Charles actually had, um, has a reputation in the science fiction, uh, you know, writing science fiction besides his work at Wired as a, nonfiction writer um a lot of the stories revolve around your journey through the science fiction world and and you drop real people's names and so um it's 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 a biography it's it's not fiction yeah so yeah i recommend them um and i will recommend them um charles do you are you working on the next volume Yes, but I have a problem there because my judgment wasn't quite so bad in the 1980s. <laughs> uh huh. Well, the more successful period, which is not quite in the zone. Is, Please, yeah, not as interesting. Not as amusing. Yes, success um, is boring. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, what is j just for my own uh, interest? What, what is the years that? that oh well. Uh, basically, the volumes are the the first volume is until I was uh, around twenty, and then we got to twenty five, and then thirty five. So the the fourth volume is from nineteen eighty through nineteen ninety, and that was when I actually well, there was one remarkably self destructive thing I did, but it also enabled me to do a lot of other things. So really it all worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I look forward to it. When, uh, I hope you keep going. The science fiction field had not, not yet sort of completely fallen apart. And I was quite involved in it in New York. That, that yeah. was a very pleasant time in some ways. Although I had a, a, a drug crazed girlfriend who was a bit difficult. <laughs> well, I look forward to that. Or to reading. Char it, Charles. Yeah, me too. Um, Charles, thanks so much for taking time to talk to us and uh, to all of our listeners who I'm sure are have loved this podcast. <laughs> I, I this enjoyed episode. it as, as usual. I always enjoy um, talking to you, Charles. And um, yeah, uh, we also I, I want to mention one more thing. Um, Charles's other 
facet of his life, um, which he is very successful at, which is as an author of books on electronics, how to do electronics. And um, could you just mention uh, a few minutes about that, Charles, for our readers? Because that, that is a cool tool, or they are cool tools. Yes, I w- was approached by Mark originally to contribute to Make Magazine, and then once I got into that, I re- recapitulated my childhood, really, when making things was a great escape from the world and very interesting. And one thing led to another, so I wrote this book called Make Electronics, which I don't think anyone really had special hopes for, but it sold more than 200,000 copies in, oh, really? oh, in the wow. last uh, 10 years just in, in the United States alone. So, wow. it, and it, it did the – well, first of all, it's totally hands-on, and secondly, it works on the principle that first you do the experiment and then you find out what it means, which is completely the opposite of the traditional educational system where someone writes something on a blackboard or a whiteboard, such as Ohm's law, and then if you have time, you do an experiment to verify it, which is no fun at all because you already know what the answer will be. So it's much more interesting to go blindly ahead with a breadboard and some components and then say, well, what happened? And that's basically, I think, why the book has done well because it's fun. Oh, great. Yeah. I think, yeah, don't you get to like pop a capacitor or an LED yeah, burn, in the first couple of pages? Yeah, fail. yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we're not, not afraid to burn things out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is really great. I will have a link for those books in the show notes as well. And um, Charles, it's always a delight. Thank you again for joining us and putting up with our, <laughs> our crazy questions. So thank you. Well, thank you for all the kind words. Very nice. Hey, everybody, it's your co-host, Mark, and I wanted to let you know that we have a lot more going on here in Cool Tools than just this podcast. We have our flagship website where we review a new tool every day. That's at cool-tools.org. We also have four different newsletters. We have this podcast. We have a YouTube channel where we review tools. And if you like what you hear and see and read the best way to help us out is by going to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash cooltools and donate at any level you wish. You can even contribute $1 a month, and, and that would mean a lot to us. The money that you give us will go towards paying for our transcribing costs, editing videos, and editing the podcast. It goes towards paying contributors who write the reviews for us. It goes towards our equipment costs, our hosting costs, and it supports our very small company of three people. This week, I wanted to give a shout out to some of our Patreon supporters who have been giving us at least $2 a month. And if you give us $2 a month, we'll give you a shout out online. And this week, I would like to thank Michael Sakochia, Molly Starr, M. Velderman, Opposable Thumbs, Pamela Cooley, Patrick Weyer, Paul Hosey, Randy Fisher, Stuart Burroughs Brand, Synaptic Sam, Therese Schwartz, Tom Hawkins, Tom Markham, What Bear, Javier Pangolin, David Lang, Eric Byers, Sean Hartley, Stephen Powell, Greg Lichtscheidt, John Hobson, Adam Bristol, Adam Naher, Anonymous, Bill Kempthorne, 
Bruce I. Niles, Chris Woodruff, C. Kolos, Daryl Flynn, Egg Fliegoff, Eric Hanschrau, Eric Hoover, Godfrey Saldana, Jay Skiles, John M. Larson, Jude Galligan, Kenneth Gilman, and Lucas Frank. Thank you very much for supporting the show, and we will see you next week.